0: Nice to be here with you again. My name is Randy Hunter. I'm a pastor, one of the pastors at St. Andrew in Middleton. To get there you go to Memorial Union and uh, walk out onto the ice and turn left and go as far as you can when you're on the shore. That's Middleton. We're just a, a couple miles from there. A very normal human heart beat in Jesus for 30-some years. the very heart of God beat in Jesus for eternity. So during these Wednesday Lenten services, and I'm not sure of the chapel's plans, but I I think they're the same, our plans also are to carry this same theme through Holy Week and even the festival of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, asking God to give us a fresh appreciation For Jesus' heart. Now, if you read the Bible ever and you and you wonder, was this just made up by people? The verses that Pastor Billets read earlier from Mark 14 can help you. You see, in Greek and in Roman literature. We have the record of uh, many prominent, the death of many prominent leaders. And they always approach death, at least the ones they admired and followed. They approached death and suffering almost in a detached way, dispassionate way, almost coolly. Socrates, when he was forced to drink the hemlock, drank the cup while he was joking with his friends. Classic. And in Jewish literature, leaders are recorded facing death kind of differently, with great passion, singing praises to God, shouting out Jehovah's name, even as their tormentors were slashing them with a sword. But now, Jesus in a garden, facing his death, opens his heart to his followers and to his father and to you and he talks about his anguish even to the point of i don't want to do this now is if you were an early christian say in the first century you would never have made that up you would never ever Ever have made that up? Not if you were trying to build a case for your leaders, because your leader, Jesus, because Greeks and Romans and Jews all would have found this a, not an admirable quality, not a quality worth following. So why is it here? There's only one reason an account of Jesus facing death, acting like this, there's only one reason that it's in the Bible. It happened. It's true. That's the only reason. It's the only possible reason. And so we deal with it. Now, when Jesus, verse uh, 33, um, tells us he began to do something that was very different because for, throughout his life, Jesus appeared seemingly. He was in control. Nothing surprised him. He was unflappable. And then you get to Verse 33 he began to be deeply distressed. Distressed. The word means alarmed. There was something that alarmed him. A word never used of him anywhere else in the Bible. There was something that alarmed him so much that it sent the eternal Son of God reeling. What was it? Well, before we get to that, the verse goes on he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. The word troubled there means overcome with horror. It's where we get the word anguish. You have to understand the anguish of Jesus' heart. I don't want to belabor this, but but to help us understand it, imagine this. Imagine... You're walking down the street, you turn a corner, and there on the sidewalk in front of you is someone you love, killed, dead, mutilated, and you see it. How do you feel? You feel sick. You feel nauseous. And that's what Jesus felt. And verse 33 says, he was troubled. Now verse 34 comes right out and says it. My soul, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I could just die on the spot, Jesus said. <laughs> this Jesus, who his whole life had seemed to be so in control, nothing surprises him, and now he's, he's struggling Now he's alarmed. Now he's in distress. Why? What's going on? Why? Well, at least three reasons why. Probably many more, but here are three of them. Jesus was facing something no human being had ever faced before. He was facing more than the physical suffering and death. Other humans had faced physical and do face physical suffering and death, but Physical suffering and death, they were like, they were like flea bites compared to what he was really facing. It's not just physical suffering that was sending his heart into anguish. Number two, he began something. Verse 33 says, he began to experience something. He began to experience alarm. He began to experience anguish. He began to be distressed. He began to get a taste and a sense of what was coming to him. Not new information. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to die on a cross. He had told his disciples that. He had taught that. But now he was beginning to experience it. You know, it's one thing to know. A fire is hot. It's you know, a big bonfire. You know it's hot. You get closer to warm your hands and closer and closer until it's too close. And then you begin to feel the massive heat, and you draw back. And that's that's what Jesus began to feel. The night before he was crucified. And number three, verse 36 says, Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. So he's beginning to taste, to feel, to experience something Jesus called this cup. I don't want this cup. Take it from me. What was it? What's the cup? Well, in the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of your Bible, the cup was a metaphor for God's wrath, God's anger over sin, God's just anger over injustice. That's what Jesus faced. In fact, um, I'll read you two examples from the Old Testament where you see the cup, Of the Lord as the anger of God over sin. Ezekiel 23. You will drink a cup of wrath. Large and deep. Full of ruin and desolation. And you will tear at your breasts. And Isaiah 54. You will drink the cup of his wrath. That makes you stagger. In the cup. That Jesus faced. That sent him reeling. Wasn't just the physical pain. And the death that he faced. Thousands of people face physical pain and death with, with poise. It's something else. His whole life long, his whole ministry long, when Jesus called out to his heavenly father, heaven opened. His father answered. And he poured, what is his very nature, love. He poured love into his son. And now he calls out and he looks in the cup. And heaven doesn't open. He sees hell. He sees desolation. He sees abandonment by God that's worse than anything the Bible can ever describe. In terms of the fire of hell. And he gets a taste of it. He gets a a sense of it. He gets a a foretaste of what's coming. And uh, you think, if just a foretaste, just a foresight of what's in the cup sent the eternal Son of God staggering, how do you think it felt? When the real thing came. So now, why is this included in the Bible? What's God trying to do? Is he trying to get us to feel sorry for his son, Jesus? No. Jesus doesn't need nor want your pity. That's not the point of this. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. That'd be like, You know, feeling sorry for Tom Brady because when he was in middle school he had to go through two-a-day practices in the summer. You know, he's got his own jet. Don't feel sorry for Tom Brady, right, just because of something that was hard in middle school. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. He's God. He's completed his redeeming mission. He's risen from the dead. He's ruling in glory in heaven. God doesn't tell us this so that we feel pity for Jesus. He tells us this so that you know his heart for you. That's why. The first Adam came into a garden and God said, Obey me about the tree, and you'll live. But he didn't. That's all it took. Obey me about the tree, and you'll live. But he didn't. But we all agree, right? The golden rule, love your neighbor as you want your neighbor to love you. We all agree. It's just that nobody's ever done it for a day in his or her life. The formula was simple. Obey me and live. Disobey me and be cursed. And that's what we've done. The second Adam, as Paul calls Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, comes into a garden too. And the Father says, Obey me about the tree. Only this time... The tree is a cross. First, Adam, obey me and live. And he didn't. Second, Adam, obey me and I'll crush you to dust. And he does it. Why? Why does he endure such anguish? Just so that he can take your curse and my curse on himself and he can give you. And he can give me his blessing. That's that's why this is in the Bible. Read about this anguish, this distress, this alarm. But don't miss the point of it all. He lived a perfect life. He died making the most sacrificial gift of love in the history of the universe, only because he wanted to give you his blessing. He wanted to take your curse. He's crazy about you. He loves you. Even if it meant his heart was in anguish, it's his heart for you. Let's thank him. Lord uh, God, Heavenly Father, thank you for inspiring Mark to include this account. Hard to read. And we don't get everything about it. But it's so good for us to see the heart of your son and your heart for us. We know you'll never, if you loved us like that, we know you'll never, ever let us down. We thank you and and we join in the prayer Jesus taught us. uh, Rather, Martin Luther wrote, there's a difference. Just want to make sure you caught that. Jesus didn't write this, Martin, and they're not the same people. Let's pray Luther's evening prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Forgive me all my sins and graciously keep me this night. Into your hands I commend my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me Amen.